Good evening, Baller Nation. It's your boys, the Shot Callers, back with another podcast episode. The date is July 31st, 2020, and as always, we're back to talk basketball. It is episode four of the NBA preview, and it is also day one of the NBA resumption. With me today, I got my boy, Richard Bustos. What's up? I'm here. All the excitement is culminated here. I'm pumped. I can't even sit down. I'm standing. And back with us today, Andre West. I'm not standing, I'm sitting, but I too am very excited about the NBA. I had some good games today and looking forward to what's to come. And sitting as well as your host, I am JV. And we, like I said at the beginning, we are back with episode four of the NBA preview, but we actually have some games that happened as well today, which we're going to definitely talk about. Before we jump into it, let's talk a little bit of social media. If you don't already follow us on Twitter, we are at Shotcaller Show. That's at Shotcaller Show. And Instagram, the underscore Shotcallers. If you don't already listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you can find us there. Just search the Shot Callers, as well as BreakerRadio.com, Spotify, and Stitcher. Stitcher, Overcast, everywhere. Everywhere. And then, of course, if you prefer, we have a YouTube medium as well. Um, before we jump into news, guys, are you, are, are you guys ready? Are you guys ready for the NBA season? Are you guys ready? Oh, wait, that was today. What did you guys think before we jump into some details? What's the feeling in the air for you guys? Oh, dude, like, I I love it. Like, I there's some things I have, like, questions about. Like, I don't know how to feel about it, so I wanted to bounce it off of you guys. But just immediately, I just feel so – feels intimate, feels small, smaller than normal. You know, they don't have to pan to crowd shots because there's not a crowd. Uh, I can hear, hey, like – digital people are still people. Those people in the stands are still people. I just want to know how I can be on the digital crowd. Like, yeah, I actually, like that'd I be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it feels so intimate. I can hear all the squeaking of the shoes. I can hear LeBron like screaming for a foul even more clearly. Uh, like everything, uh, the new angles of the baseline cam or the uh, the sideline cam. Like I like everything about it. Um, and I can only imagine. There's some things that I have. Uh, I guess I wish were different. But I will definitely bring those up after we hear about what Andre likes. What, what, what stood out to you, Andre? Oh, man, just for me, just the intensity of the games themselves, right? So they've been playing scrimmages for the last week. But, you know, just the feeling of actually watching a real game, the tension, you can feel it like the announcers coming through. There's just a level of class and professionalism that's different from what you saw in the scrimmages. And it comes out in the way that the players play, the announcements and everything. So I'm just – surreal to to have it back man i missed it and it's definitely a different experience watching an actual game than than just seeing the scrimmages but yeah i'm happy i'm looking forward for more tomorrow man i'm a fiend we're so lucky we got so many games you know for me it was like an event almost but at the same time it felt like it came quick like when when you're talking about it during the pandemic during the shutdown you're like that's never gonna get here it's never gonna be july 30th that's so far away and now that it's here it almost felt like it got here faster than I expected. And it's kind of an event because you see it all over Twitter. Everybody that, you know, from your, from your mom to your, you know, your, the, the guy you haven't talked to in a long time on Facebook is talking about the NBA, right? Oh, they start today, right? Is what my mom said. And I was like, yeah, you know, she doesn't watch basketball, but she knew about it. So that's just how, that's just what the magnitude of it was, right? The, the resumption of the NBA, kind of like the shutdown when I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The shutdown kind of signified the start of the shutdown, right? Like the, the NBA United States shutdown. for sure. Yeah, yeah it kind of, kind of, you know, really made it real. And now that the NBA is back, not that we're back to normal or anything like that by far, like by no means are we close to that. But it was, it was an event, right? It was something that everybody's like, oh, that's the, the NBA is back. Even though the MLB has been back, 
I feel like the NBA has kind of maybe because they got it right in a lot more ways, but I feel yeah. like basketball resu- resuming ha- definitely has the more hype, and we know that the NBA is more popular. But just like the shutdown, I feel like it's kind of signified the resumption of sport. Like it's yeah, not to here. sound uh, too poetic, but it feels like instead of we're wandering in the dark in this pandemic, it now feels like we're in a tunnel on the way out, even though maybe we don't see the light at the end of like, you know, this pandemic and the virus is kind of sweeping the world and our nation. It kind of feels like we're going somewhere now. Whereas I swear, like, it's, and it's not be me being overly dramatic, but it just felt like time didn't really affect me. I didn't know what day it was for so long. And it's, it feels like there's something to orient myself around uh, since some things are coming back to normalcy. And, you know, school's getting back in session in the fall and the NBA. Like, it kind of feels that way to me. I don't know if that sounds crazy. And it kind of feels like life's back on track, huh? I mean, the NBA canceling was sort of the cause of, you know, everything in the U.S. stopping, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when the U.S. When, when the NBA shut down, that's when it became real for everyone. So, now to see it back, I guess, yeah, you're right. It's like kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel. So, yeah, happy to have it back. Definitely happy to have it back. And with that, that that with that it just means that gives us the opportunity to be you know armchair what do you call them rich armchair quarterbacks armchair armchair analysts armchair coaches armchair, we're just armchair, in the armchair blog boys <laughs> i like to be a blog boy blog boys um so yeah we the first two games of the season kicked off today um so the guys are going to give you a little bit of a pre- of uh not a preview but a review of what those two games uh, were all about uh, we talked a little bit about the atmosphere, guys. Kind of the air, right? Uh, kind of what was in the air, the aura around the games. Uh, what did you guys see that stood out? You know, not only in the game, but maybe pre-game, post-game, et cetera. Yeah, so the initial thing that I think ended up on everyone's screens and social media feeds first was definitely the message or demonstration of solidarity between the players, coaches, and even the referees kneeling during the national anthem, all wearing black shirts, stating Black Lives Matter. Uh, you know, uh, all the uh, all the post-game interviews from different players, Tobias Harris among them, among many others, talking about justice for Breonna Taylor, say her name, the names on the back of the jerseys. Those were all, those are all great, you know, gestures and sights to see and things to hear. But that image of the entire line of both teams linking arms together, that's what's going to be on the news tomorrow morning uh, when this posts. That's what's going to be, you know, in images everywhere and hopefully a lasting image that, has a great effect on a lot of people and gets the conversation, you know, going and reaching even further. So that's the number one thing that stuck out to me and, you know, and rightfully so because it happened first and it's the first thing I'm remembering even after all the events of the game. Uh, anything, uh, would you, would you agree, Andre? Uh, yeah. I mean, pretty much agree wholeheartedly. Uh, it was good for me to see that, you know, everyone in the NBA was on the same page on this in terms of, hey, it's, it's nice to have these games back, but we also acknowledge that this is a sensitive time in the country right now. So it's good to see that the NBA is giving them a venue and they're actually acknowledging it during the games. It's not just it's not just what they're wearing or taking a knee and stuff, but they're giving an opportunity to talk about things. And, you know, they're, they're driving the discussion towards action, not just saying, hey, this needs to change, but they're trying to, you know, create a narrative and push towards action. So I thought, I thought that was kind of cool. Right. And then, you know, some might be, uh, when you compare statements like this or protests like this, demonstrations to protests like Colin Kaepernick in the NFL, there might even be a person that says, well, is it really a protest if the NBA is on board? This action, kneeling during the anthem, is 
against the NBA rule book. So even I mean, if yeah, NBA, like even yeah. Okay. I don't I don't I don't mean to jump in but like okay. even just a year ago this would have been a very controversial take, right? Like right, no one yeah. would have been like no major sports industry would have been like taken thought of taking action such as this. So just to see it, you know, getting the kind of coverage and the cohesion of the action from the entire standpoint is just great for me to see. But right, yeah, printing the Black Lives Matter on the court and even if it became you know not against the rules the nba i believe is from what i'm hearing from different prominent reporters around the nba isn't going to be enforcing any sort of levies or fines against these players and coaches for taking the stance but the fact that they won't when a year ago it was a fine to make a protest this way regarding the subject matter that is progress towards social change that is a social you know uh, contract that these guys are making between their employer and themselves and the fact that those bonds uh, between the NBA and the community are strengthening that is an unexample of social change that we want not the end of what everyone wants which is an end towards police brutality racism in our country and not feeling equal opportunity in every walk of life but it's an example of progress so yeah, yeah. that's awesome yeah, they actually had a, a video in there where they talked about, you know, um, everything that's going on. And one of the quotes in there was um, in the video, it had like players, coaches, referees and stuff all talking about what needed to happen and what's happening right now. And one of the quotes that stood out to me was, um, you know, we're changing what's normal in society. So just like the rules being changed for something like this, um, society's changing as a whole. So we have to define what the change is going to be towards the future to create a new normal. So I just thought that kind of rang poetically with what was actually happening <laughs> for yeah. sure and so oh, well, i was just gonna say i think that's definitely what stands out the most the fact that the last time this was happening and people were protesting you know through kneeling you know colin kaepernick being the biggest kind of kind of the person that you know set it in motion and the nba caught some criticism for that right because it was kind of built like you said built into the rules where they couldn't do that before again they couldn't kneel so no players were kneeling and the fact that they kind of went from i guess from zero to a hundred, right? They went from not doing it at all to doing it holistically. And I would say even taking it a step further because other leagues are doing it, but you know, it's some people kneeling, it's, you know, a small message behind the mount in, in the case of like uh, behind the mound in the case of the MLB. Right. But like mm -hmm. the NBA is putting it in front of you. Like they are not, if you want to tune out, tune out by all means, right. You have every right to, but if you're going to, watch these athletes perform these, these humans right perform you have to listen to them you have to listen to what they what their message is because they're not just they're not just entertainment you know i go back to when they would when they i don't know who it was told lebron just shut up and dribble and then lebron came back with you know the whole more than an athlete message mm -hmm. um that's raining that's ringing true right now they are more than athletes and the NBA is standing behind their athletes and allowing them to express themselves, you know, more than any other league, I would say. But the fact that it's everywhere, you know, it was in the pregame, in that video that you talked about, Andre, the entire, you know, stadium, everybody in there was kneeling. Uh, Black even Lives the, Matters. In even the postgame interviews, like the first thing they talked about was they didn't even talk about the game. They talked about. Uh, what was happening, like in the Black Lives Matter and the yeah. discussion like that. So, yeah, it's right yeah, in your so, face, like you so said. It doesn't, allow, it doesn't allow those people who say, oh, you know, I just, I just go to sports to escape. And it's like, yeah, sports is entertainment, obviously, right, in, 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 on the surface. But, at the, but you have to understand that what's behind it is real people with, that have real issues and have real, you know, um, I guess, agendas um, 
that they want to be heard and we should and should be heard. And so I, I like that the NBA was able to flip the switch all the way to pretty much a hundred, right? Um, and allow it to be so transparent. So right. good on them. And they've always been looked at as the most progressive league, so it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we touched on um, the referees actually taking a knee in solidarity with the players. We, we mentioned the players doing it was news that, you know, came out a few weeks ago and we talked about that, but on the subject of that um, there was some more news actually with Michael Jordan. Um, we, we mentioned a few weeks ago that he was going to do a donation of a hundred million over 10 years. Um, well, he's actually come out and broken down exactly what some of that money's going towards. So the first two and a half million is going to be going uh, split among three different groups. So he's got one million um, going to formerly incarcerated and convicted people families movement. Um, he has another million going to the NAACP legal defense and education fund. And then he has 500K going to Black Voters Matter. And all this money, this 2.5 million right now is all going out to combat Black voter suppression. And I mean, it's just on point with the message and pretty much a good time for uh, this kind of, for him to make this kind of move, so. Hell yeah, and if I can speak on that, uh, like this is exactly what I was hoping to see just a few weeks ago, you might remember. I want to know where those dollars are going because that allows a reporter of any enterprising newspaper to call those uh, organizations and say, okay, how are you putting those dollars to use? Puts the pressure on them to, you know, use those funds appropriately and, you know, amplify what that's going towards and how it's benefiting the community. Like, that's awesome. That is exactly what I wanted. Like, that's, that's amazing. And uh, along with Michael Jordan, you know, leading the way in this fashion, I wanted to shout out something that the, that we haven't talked about in previous episodes, but I'm really proud talking about voter suppression. The Atlanta Hawks were the first NBA team to open up their uh, arena. I, I think it's State Farm Arena. I'll have to double check as an early voting location. So as a lot of us might know, or if you don't, uh, difficulty of actually accessing the polls is a major uh, way that people don't vote and get their voice heard. So by housing thousands of people able to early vote, even when you're doing social distancing, it's huge. And the Detroit Pistons and Milwaukee Bucks and a couple of other teams have followed suit as well. I would love it if every, if all 30 teams did that. I would love to go to the American Airlines Center here in Dallas and go vote there. Like, why not? More access to everyone. Yeah, vote, voting shouldn't be a trial, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's a right, so it, they should make it easy, easier to vote. So I'm with that 100%. Hopefully we can see. Uh, it's sad that um, we have to rely on NBA teams, which are private corporations and private citizens to, you know, fund, uh, <laughs> make it easier voting. for people to vote, right? <laughs> right. But, mm -hmm. I mean, that it is what it is. This is 2020 in America. So I'm glad to see that Michael George is doing some good, and hopefully we can – uh, get away with, do away with some of those myths about, you know, him owning prisons and things like that. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that one. I'm glad I haven't yeah. heard that one. What? Okay. But yeah. Uh, anything else you got on the docket for news, Andre? Uh, that's all I had. Yeah, that's, that's all I got. Oh, I have one little thing to add to the end of it. It's not really news, but you know, uh, when we talk about these NBA players using their platform, a lot of times there can be a disconnect from people that don't know about personal you know, trials and struggles that these wealthy millionaires for the most part have with things like racism and you know, uh, exclusion and things like that. Uh, there's a nice article, a really powerful article that I've read on the Players' Tribune by Lauren Holiday's wife 
married to Drew Holiday of the New Orleans Pelicans. They're an interracial couple, and she actually outlined uh, a time that she went to go get Starbucks uh, with a friend of hers, uh, two white women. They ended up getting stopped by the cops for a uh, broken taillight, and they didn't have their driver licenses with them. So I'm not sure if the police officers recognized her, but they said, do you have your license? She said, no, but my husband's around the corner. He can bring him to us. So Drew Holiday pulls up in his car, brings their licenses to them, and you know, the police officers were included on the entire exchange. Uh, I'm not sure if any name dropping happened, but basically to boil it down, Drew Holiday ended up in handcuffs at the end of that, when he oh had my. nothing to do with the ento- entire interaction. So... Uh, when you think about that, think about Tabo Cephalosha getting his, his leg broken in New York outside of a club. Like these Starling things Brown, happen to yeah, Starling Brown. Crazy. These things happen to everyone. It's not limited to one class. And there's plenty of reason for all these players to speak on behalf of those that don't have a platform and speak on behalf of themselves. So I encourage you guys to read the Players Tribune on that one. So uh, that's all I want to add to that one. Good you article. Move on. Yeah, yeah. Good plug, sure. man. I'll have to check that out. That sounds like a good read. <laughs> So it's ridiculous to, uh, to hear that, right? So yeah. for anybody who says, you know, just just obey the law, you know, all those BS, all that BS that you can hear about, you know, there's no inequality. It's all BS. I mean, this guy is a millionaire athlete, somebody who's known, ends up in handcuffs, and he had nothing to do with the original altercation. If it if it happened in New Orleans, it's his hometown, pretty yeah. much. So yeah, it's so. crazy definitely a big problem and it'll it'll be a continuous fight for a long time and you know we'll stand behind that uh every step of the way um that does that was it for the news right we're done with the news guys yeah, yeah so all good. if you if you want to rewind to the previews we can and then we'll fast forward back <laughs> <I'll be laughs> rewinding um so the two games of the night the first one was the pelicans versus the utah jazz Our nail biter came down to the very end yeah man it was awesome i was actually hoping we started with the lakers because i was actually more excited about this game dude it was like logic order here richard you're right you're right you're right we rewound to go in order man like sorry to, to to steal the show again and go first but like, it was just so much fun. There were so many turnovers. That game was a little oh, – it wasn't sloppy, <laughs> but it was like interior defense was not a thing. We can get to the paint as soon as we – as anytime we want to. Everybody was driving. Everybody was kicking, losing the ball uh, as they entered, like, the paint area, and then they come up with a steal and a fast break attempt on the other end. Rudy Gobert was blocking some stuff, showing his height. Uh, Zion was looking – I found the perfect description for Zion when he's, like, careening through the lane. He is a he is a flying boulder. Like he is so huge, and he dude, like drawing a charge on him that that hurts. Like I saw that. Uh, I think it was Tony Bradley, or no, it was Royce O'Neal who drew the charge, and his eyes were wide, hitting the ground. Like, oh, what did I just get hit by? So, uh, oh, one, how poetic was it, Andre, that Rudy Gobert got the first bucket of the game? Hey man, he giveth, he taketh away, then he gives it back. So, <laughs> Rudy Gobert ringing in the new or the return of the NBA season. That was, uh, that was pretty poetic. I, uh, I do want to ask you guys a question. So Zion had limited minutes in this game. The jazz ended up 
winning this game at the end at the buzzer was a great nail-biting game. But if you listen to our previews and previous episodes, the Jazz don't have – they have more to play, stuff to play for. They want to get their seat up. But the Pelicans have a much uh, more strenuous road to the playoffs. They want to uh, uh, qualify for the playing game and try to best the Memphis Grizzlies if they can. And so these games definitely matter a lot more. So Zion, as we learned after, upon coming back, is on a minute – not an official minutes restriction, but – he's going to be played in short bursts. He was played for about three minutes in the first quarter, a few minutes in the second at the beginning, a few minutes in the third, a few minutes in the fourth. He totaled about 19 or 18 total minutes, if I remember correctly. However, these minutes were all in the beginning of the first quarter. Why wouldn't you have them out for at least three or four minutes to close the game when it's a close crunch time game? J.J. Redick is definitely needed to space the floor, but could you take Derek Favors out of the lineup? Like That could have been the difference, and that could be – what keeps them out of a playing game. What do you guys think about that? Am I off base or should they be redistributing his minutes to be towards the end of the game possibly? Um, I think it, well, I was going to yeah. say, I think in general it's ridiculous to put Zion on minutes restrictions in games that determine whether you can continue to play. So if, it'd be one thing if you were, you know, in the playoffs and you were like, you know what, the games don't matter as much right now. We're in the playoffs. We'll kind of ease them in and then, you know, go full full throttle in the playoffs but you guys are fighting to survive these could be the last eight games of the of your season why would you limit him now particularly in a game that's that close yeah I kind of agree with that as well um for me and I think this this game was an eye-opener even though it's the first game of the season for them obviously there's some rust but um the Pelicans offense looked pretty stagnant whenever Zion or JJ Redick wasn't in there Oh, uh, Riddick was uh, being a, an engine. Yeah, he was, especially he was just running around, creating, just cutting, getting getting lots of open looks. And then he had a, a good a good series where he drove after scoring two threes. He put the ball, did a pump fake, got him to bite, drove for a little, then dished out to uh, my man Jackson Hayes. Oh, dude, he was dunking. Yeah, that, yeah, pulled in for the cut dunk. That was perfect, perfect assist. But, yeah, the offense the, uh, was not, uh-huh. Yeah, offense wasn't flowing well without Reddick running around and creating stuff or or Zion just creating havoc. Um, yeah. Just because whenever Zion's on the floor, you got to kind of look around and see where he's at just because, you know, he, he creates so much havoc. He moves so well, he could just throw the ball up. So there, there was a lot the, of lobs. Right, right, right. And Zion had the crispiest behind-the-back pass in the lane to uh, to Lonzo. Man, yeah, it was Lonzo, amazing. Yeah. Woo. But before J.J. Reddick was making those those threes, he actually made several twos in a row and one really great uh, section in the uh, second quarter where Drew Holiday had a Euro strap. He didn't lay it up. He passed it. He dropped it off kind of to Reddick where a big man might dunk it, but Reddick's not that tall. So he kind of dribbled back outward towards the free throw line, curved it in, had a fake pass or a pass fake uh, towards the perimeter. Everyone bit. He passed it back to Drew so he could lay it in. So, man, that was, uh, that was terrific. So I thought that was great. I thought Ingram was showing how easy it is for him to score. The comparisons to Kevin Durant as far as stature and shooting ability, especially since he's increased his – free throw percentages um, are terrific. Uh, but, you know, size is going to bother him. The Jazz were showing off their size with Gobert, Tony Bradley, mm-hmm. uh, Royce O'Neal's kind of stoutness, kind of pushing him off his pushing him off his uh, initial, you know, uh, position where he'd catch the ball. So it can be kind of tough when you don't, when you can't gather yourself. So I thought that definitely uh, played into it. Lonzo Ball didn't shoot well. He shot horridly, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it was like it was almost abysmal. It pretty much was abysmal. 15.4%, no threes, no free throws. 
Uh, uh, he made two shots at the rim, I guess. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell, he had a quiet twenty-point game, and and uh, in my so opinion, did so did uh, Mike Conley, man. I did not. I looked at the box score. I was like, what? He had twenty. Yeah, but if he had his uh, hair maybe going, it was, maybe it was the haircut. I think it yeah, was the haircut. Knows. I was like, what? Uh, but yeah, so like Mitchell, the thing that I kind of took away from it the most, besides he got he got the scoring going in the second half, was like he just looked like he wasn't used to the speed yet. Like he was too fast, or the game was too slow. Like he was always sliding out of bounds. He was sliding past defenders. Like he didn't have his footing. Maybe his shoes were too new, too fresh. Those spider Mitchells on his feet were were not broken in quite properly. But he just didn't look like he could stay in one place or stop on a dime the way that that you might think he could. So yeah, for man. me, it looked it looked more like he was like especially early on they were focusing on feeding Gobert, like keeping him engaged. Oh it yeah, a lot sure. like that because he was rolling hard. Um, they were getting him lobs. He was you know trying to finish going to the line and everything up until when he got fouled. But um, yeah, it looked they seemed like they were trying to move the ball around a little bit more, and then Mitchell kind of took over that second half. But yeah, you're right. He he was looking a little. You know, still kind of out of whack, not completely in sync yet. But it is so. the first game. Some rust there. That's true. Uh, uh, Drew Holiday had him locked down for one possession that I remember. He blocked him as though they were in the driveway, and it was it was his dad. Like, <laughs> uh, Mitchell tried to dribble, do a sort of sidestep in the lane, just outside the lane, but parallel to the, uh, to the free throw stripe. And he kind of did a sideways step, and Drew matched him step for step, jumped, and blocked it right back into his face, which I thought was awesome to see. Gave me flashbacks to the last time we saw Drew Holiday in the playoffs, which is against Damian Lillard and uh, T.J. McCollum making their lives hell. I thought that was great. In the fourth quarter, we saw Donovan Mitchell do a similar thing, not block Drew Holiday, but he definitely stopped his forward momentum trying to drive to the rim. So there was some back and forth from two high-profile players going on. So I thought that was terrific. Uh, there was a lot of great stuff. Uh, I texted you guys this. I said, Nick, uh, Nicolo Melli is fucking trucking dudes, man. Like, oh, he was yeah. setting screens and dudes <laughs> were just hitting the ground. Yeah. He trucked uh, he trucked fucking, what was his name? What was his name? Uh, Royce O'Neal hit the ground. He trucked Mitchell, hit the ground. Like, man, I didn't know he was that stout. Yeah. So, that, that that was pretty great. And then the uh, and then the other one was just uh, Gobert blocking favors. Uh, I think it's always cool when two people that used to play together on the same team get to go against one another because they know each other's habits. And seeing Gobert get that block was pretty great. So, yeah. Oh, and then the final thing. You, uh, JV, you mentioned the announcers sounding much better, more, uh, more, uh, you know, more magnanimous and less like amateur hour. Uh, and so Ian Eagle and Stan Van Gundy, I thought they were terrific. I think Stan Van Gundy and Jeff Van Gundy are both very analytical and they're they're not afraid to be inquisitive. You know, what do you think the players are thinking here? Like they they really engage me and their co-host. Uh, but uh, they can do good color know. commentary and you know analytical commentary. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Yeah, they do both. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so uh, some might know that Donovan Mitchell was a baseball star in college, and his his total uh, basketball career only spans like seven years, guys. He hasn't been playing all his life, really. Uh, but he, like I said, he was good at baseball. So there was one full court pass where he tossed it down to uh, down to Clarkson, and it ended up being a hockey assist. So Clarkson passed it off for a score. And in the moment, so fast, he says Mitchell with a baseball pass. Where anybody like Kevin Love or LeBron James making that pass, somebody says football, football pass. Yeah. Exactly. But he knew it right on the spot. Baseball pass. Uh, and it was so smooth because he knows his baseball background. So these guys are really doing their homework, and I thought that was so badass. So that's what I got to say. <laughs> yeah, for me, um, despite, you know, 
this being the first game, obviously some rust. Uh, for me, I guess the big takeaway would be the Pelicans were small, man. Uh, there was one possession where uh, the Jazz got four offensive rebounds and it just ended up in a putback. So for them to shoot this poorly as they did in this game, even despite both teams having the same amount of turnovers, um, they got to take advantage of being small and actually, you know, score the ball. They got to make their shots from the perimeter. And, you know, when you get to the free throw line, you got to make your shots. So uh, despite this game being pretty close going down to the wire on the last possession, I don't think it bodes as well for the Pelicans because the Jazz are still when missing one of their their number two offensive threat, right? Yeah, the flamethrower, man. Yeah, so um, for the Pelicans, you'd want to see something a little bit better from them, especially especially after Reddick just kind of you know took over that second unit. But yeah, they they got some work to do if they still want to be in contention for that eighth seed. So I think I said this uh, before any of the games played. Um, I believe it's a two-team race, and I and I stand by that. So right now the the Pelicans are a little bit behind. You know, the Portland hasn't even played, but they're already kind of ahead of the ball because the Pelicans lost. So seven games left, guys. What do you think about the Pelicans? Do you think that what Richard said um, is true? And you know, them losing this game kind of takes them out of it like it, it puts them behind the eight ball they got to play like you know pretty great basketball to play the higher caliber teams that they have ahead of them although their schedule is easier than than memphis i believe so yeah uh, i think it just it's not making it any easier i feel like this is a, a, a game that the jazz they could have lost it and been like okay you know we're gonna keep retooling get used to not having boy on whereas the pelicans should have been like we gotta win this zion you know, you feel good. Let's put you in there. You know, that's what I thought was going to happen. So I don't know. That's how I yeah. know. What about you, Andre? Yeah, I agree. Like they should have played Zion at the end, at least um, could have got a better look. Brandon Ingram on that last shot, but yeah, they've, they've got an easier strength of schedule than the other two, but they still, you know, at the end of the day, you still got to win your games. All right. And so yeah. this one was one they could have won. Yeah. So. So at the beginning of the season, right. If we watch, you know, even like the first five games of the, of a team season, you're it's overreaction to start asking questions like this, but at the end of this, are the, are the Pelicans in or out after this, after seeing this first game? I want to wait until all the others play their first games, but right now they're still in there. I think they're still in there. Just a few, few tweaks. Well, they, they, need, they, need, they would need three teams to lose in order yeah. to still be in the same spot they were in before all of this. So it's going to be that's, tough. That's true. But I think the strength of schedule can, keeps them in. I think they can definitely make the play-in game, but I don't think they would beat Memphis twice. So overall, I think they're out. Gotcha. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, awesome. So on to the second game of the night, guys. Uh, what what was crowned the Battle of L.A. at the beginning of the season, and I can't think of a better name right now, so we'll call it that. It was the uh, Battle of Orlando now. <laughs> nobody nobody expected this. <laughs> the L.A. Clippers at the L.A. Lakers, and I say that because wasn't the Lakers weren't the Lakers technically the home team? Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right, and I have something to ask about that at the end of the show or before we get to the previews of the team that didn't play. So this was. Uh, Lakers were in our preview series. Andre, since I went first last time, is there anything that you thought you might see that you didn't see? Or is there anything that you were like, oh, we're, I'm going to be looking out for this. And maybe you saw something that kind of proved yourself right. Like, is there anything like kind of like that that goes with your preview? Uh, definitely that. Um, so I watched two of the Lakers scrimmage games and 
Um, the Lakers signed a very two very controversial players in J.R. Smith and uh, Dion Waiters. Um, and both of them actually performed very well in uh, in the bubble. Limited minutes, less than 20 minutes. They both had about 15, average 15 points, good efficiency, things like that. Um, and it, they look good. And I was thinking, you know, if Deion Waiters can create and score efficiently, then that's good for the Lakers because they typically struggle when LeBron sits. So I was interested to see if he could, you know, replicate that performance um, in an actual game. And they pretty much did that. That's what I was looking for. Uh, whenever LeBron sat, the, the offense wasn't like super stagnant. Like they found a way, they moved the ball around, they let Deion cook. And he wasn't just chucking like uh, you would expect. He was, you know, driving and dishing, um, taking the open shot when it came. But if he drove and he, he drew he drew a defender, he'd pass it out. I, I thought that was, was good to see. I was so hoping for the video that is burned in my brain that I know Jonathan remembers me showing him like four years ago of Dion Waiters' supercut of him being in Cleveland and being in Oklahoma City with LeBron James and Kevin Durant and just being like Begging two hands up, ball. wide ball, wide stance, like give me the ball, now, give me the ball, give me the ball from, from Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's got the yeah, ball. He, really, he <laughs> that, had that one nice spin move on Zubac. Oh, man, yeah, that's that, for sure, but that's what I wanted. So what that, that actual scene actually happened. Too. It, it's, this time it was uh, I think it was Kuzma with the ball. Right, right, right. Stand in the corner, right. Yeah, he was standing in the corner wide open. Kuzma threw up a brick, but that's fine because he shot pretty well regardless of that one possession. But yeah, he Dion still wants the ball. So I've got a I've got a few small observations before you know you continue on with what you were talking about. One. Joe Kim Noah sweats real hard. Like, oh, my God, he was sweating. Oh, yeah, he came into the game, like, drenched. <laughs> yeah, which is great. You know, that means he warms up hard. Yeah. But, you know, if you observe the benches, oh, I got a question about that, too. Oh, man, there's so much. I love the NBA, guys. I don't know if y'all knew. So, he's sweating hard. And, of course, the players do not have to wear masks when they're sweating all over one another. But this general, you know, global situation definitely makes me more cognizant when people are yelling around me because you don't want any sort of spittle going around anywhere uh and so like even the referees have cloth on their whistles to prevent you know in an effort to prevent things like that even in, during game time so joe kim noah goes checks out to the bench and i think landry shamit or somebody you know made a good shot and the players on the bench are spaced about five feet apart you know six feet apart maybe and Joe Kim Noah is not in his seat. He has leaned all the way over the barrier, looking like a hockey, like, you know, bench guy that's kind of tr- halfway in, halfway out, full on screaming at these guys, his own teammates. Like, man. <laughs> uh, so definitely intense. That's the intensity that they want. Uh, yeah, that's a good observation, team player. Observation number two. It was really great seeing LeBron and Kawhi Leonard go at one another, especially at the end with the way that that climactic finish happened. But the very first position of the game, Kawhi Leonard is guarding LeBron near half court. And he's just kind of kind of swiping at the ball just a little bit, checking his dribble. Just made me think of two boxers where they're trying to test that jab, trying to see how how high their hands are going to stay. That's what it reminded me of right there. Just two heavyweight yeah, boxers. Just a little sparring, feeling yeah, each other out. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Number three, is LeBron yelling for calls? Like, is it always that loud? <laughs> or is it the acoustics in the arena? Cause, oh I felt like God. it was a lot easier to hear what was going on. It's like this. Yeah. Ah! Like, <laughs> that was in my ears. Like, oh, my God. So I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Maybe watch the YouTube clips and compare. All right. Uh, number four, Anthony Davis had an eye injury. And that's not good, right? He always has nicks and bruises. 
Put the goggles on, man. Can we get some bubble wrap? Can we get some some goggles on you? You're a Laker already. Put the goggles on. Like, protect yourself. He, he was hot as hell. 32, 32 points, I think. Yeah. Super hot. So he's got to stay on the court, especially if they have these championship aspirations. All right. Uh, that might be the end of that one. Oh, also, Reggie Jackson. What did you guys think of Reggie Jackson in this game? What was your impression seeing Reggie Jackson playing for the Clippers? I know we're talking about the Lakers, but – what was your impression of Reggie Jackson yeah. on the Clippers? It was a nice, it was a nice fill-in, but he played very inefficiently. So I mean, it was nice to see that he hasn't really lost the, too much of a step. Um, but you could you could chalk it up to rust. Um, but he was very inefficient in the time he was in there. Definitely someone I can see coming off the bench. It it's funny because we talk about Lou Williams being the sixth man, right? Um, so many times. What do you call the guy that's the backup for the sixth man? Because that's what Reggie Jackson's gonna have to be, and that's pretty much all it's gonna end up being for him in this in this playoff run. So we got to think of a name for it. What is he? The the seventh I mean, man? The eighth, because uh, <laughs> like Montrez eight. is the seventh. Uh, yeah, and so like man, like so for parts of this game, I was like, man, this is not exci- as exciting as the Jazz and Pelicans because Jazz and Pelicans were kind of up and down, you know, during every quarter. Whereas the Lakers Clippers kind of ended up being a slugfest near the end with the with the heavyweights going at one another. But during that second and third quarter, like I was like, man, Reggie Jackson ISOing again, <laughs> like calling his own number again. It just made me think of an old nickname that Reggie Jackson used to have, which is in Detroit, Root Canal Reggie. Like, man, you need to get a root canal because you know sometimes that's necessary. This root man, dead, does bro. it hurt? <laughs> That shit hurts. <laughs> so that's what I thought of. <laughs> oh, um, and final thing. Uh, I did enjoy hearing, uh, you know, the referees feed when they did a video review and they kind of ha- determined the call and the explanation for who's going to get free throws and who the ball was out on. The head, uh, the head referee went to the scorer's table, announced it to the broadcast crew, and it seemed as though he had a mic on, or, or maybe it was just the environment again. So Scott Foster, hearing those explanations, I'm with it. So I think that's cool. More transparency. Next up, just put a mic on the damn players. I want to hear all the shit talk. Like, that's where I'm at. Yeah, just make make mic'd up its own special feature. Um, yeah, I don't know. Reggie Jackson, he looked all right. He's uh, looks like they're just experimenting. Uh, they started him, but I feel yeah. like once, once this well, actual series happens, it's going to be Beverly. The only reason they started him was because they were short Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. So right. he had a shorter rotation. Um, which brings me to uh my next point. And you you can call me Mr. Hypothetical because I love asking shit like this. Um the game came down to the final possession. What is that how does that bode? Does that bode well for the Clippers? If they had Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams, is that a very different game? Is is it suddenly, you know, shifted towards the Clippers a lot more? Or what do you guys think? Because like I just mentioned, Reggie Jackson was very inefficient. I think he shot 30, sub 35% in 35 minutes. I mean, when a guy's out there that much and he's shooting, he's not doing much for you. I mean, huh? that's, a, that's a big drawback. So if Lou Williams is out there, you have Montrose Harrell kind of eating him some of those minutes that Zubach was having because Zubach only had two points. So those two guys having those kind of nights, you replace them with, with Lou Williams. And uh, Montrose Harrell, both six men of the year candidates. Should the Clippers oh. be feeling pretty good about this, or what do you guys think? You want to go uh, first, Andre? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, Paul George actually shot really well. Uh, Kawhi had an all right game. LeBron actually had a pretty bad game by his standards, and I counted he he drove maybe three times. Everything else was 
um, just like jumpers or just like fadeaways, things like that. So I think this was more of them just trying to feel them out, even though the game was very close. It's hard to say because, you know, they, they had four weapons, four pretty – two very strong weapons and then two, you know, good guys that you want to have on your team in Trez and Lou Williams. Uh, it's interesting to see if they'll play this that well the whole time. AD had a really good game. They kind of put – the whole offense was AD, even though he, he and LeBron took the same amount of shots. felt like AD was just – like he was he was way more efficient, obviously, but the offense was pretty much give the ball to AD and let him work. And LeBron just take two – shots whenever he wants well the thing is that's kind of always been the case hasn't it been like when you're trying to stop lebron well in the in the like playoffs play he drives zone. a lot more well that's fine but you play zone and you take you force him out you force him to when he slat when he goes to the rim there's somebody there to meet him most of the time right right and with a guy like montrez harrell he, he's not the biggest guy but he's he, he's quick he can get to he can get to he can meet him at the at the rim and you're okay with the ball going to Anthony Davis. So wouldn't that mean that the game being this close is indicative of what might happen in the playoffs, considering that they would play the same? You can talk about him shooting bad and shooting a lot of jumpers, but that's exactly what you do. That's, that's the defense you play on LeBron. Uh, like in, in, in the past, when the game's on the line and in this game itself, like whenever there was a possession where the game was on the line, LeBron drove and he scored yeah, every time. Yeah, it was a close game. But that's in the past. That's, that's, that, that, in like, a close game, I, I don't right. doubt his clutchness. Right. I'm, I'm talking more so in a game where, you know, all, all 48 minutes. Right. You, you replace those two guys with the performance they had, Zubach and Reggie Jackson with Trez and Lou Williams. I mean, shouldn't the Clippers feel really good about that? The fact yeah, that I mean, good. like, if I'm both – if I'm either team, I'm feeling good, like, despite how close the game was. Uh, like, Lakers, you know what LeBron and AD are capable of. You saw that Waiters can produce by himself without another playmaker on the court. Uh, defense was well. Both teams had very bad turnovers. So, I don't know. I, yeah, I feel like it's hard to say. Yeah, what do you, what do you think, Rich? Yeah, <laughs> I, think, so... I think both teams feel good. I think if you sub in Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell into their normal spots, uh, what they do with those guys is they kind of ride the hot hand. Like if those guys come in and they're both producing on their pick and roll and Lou Williams is shooting well, they'll leave Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, one of them, on the bench for a longer amount of time. So, yeah, they'll be replacing Reggie Jackson's, you know, drives and and wild shots. Um like the Clippers were not taking this almost very seriously, seriously almost at all. They had several minutes given to uh, – given to uh, Amir Kofi. They're like G League players. So definitely, you know, both both teams were kind of being lackadaisical. And that's easy for me to say. Like if they have the other two guys, you know, it could be totally different. But um, on the other end, on the Lakers, like J- JV's right. This is exactly how they want to play. Uh, they want – this is exactly what LeBron outlined he wanted to do. He wanted to feed Anthony Davis as much as possible. The only difference is – I believe that as the games go on and, you know, the pressure rises, LeBron usually can rise to the occasion uh, as far as like his own performance and contributing in some kind of way. So I feel like his shot will be falling more often than it was. He was 0 for 5, I believe, to start the game. He didn't score his first points until he drove in the second quarter. So I think that we will get a result similar to this because both teams have another level to go to because I think LeBron will be shooting more efficiently while still letting Anthony Davis be the focal point of the general train of the offense, but get to pick his spots as to when he can dominate. And 
after the attention has been going to Anthony Davis. So I think we'll see more of this. I think it bodes well for the Clippers, but I don't think it bodes so well that the Lakers aren't a threat. I still take the Clippers over the over the Lakers if the Clippers can get their whole team back in the bubble, you know, at the same time. <laughs> so All right. that's, that's, where, that's where I'm at. And last question. What do you guys think? Because I jumped on Twitter. What do you guys think about that? Based on what you saw, were the 17 free throws that were given to Anthony Davis warranted all the way through? Was it was it called well consistently? I'd say yeah. I mean, Kawhi got 13 too. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't think that the fouls had to be even, but I didn't see anything egregious. I saw a lot of complaining from the players as usual, but I feel like the referees are going to have a pretty firm, you know, consistent showing throughout the entire campus you know playoff run because they're not going to be you know uh worried about the home crowds about to burn the building down so man feel, you know i feel like this is what we're gonna see so this was like something i noticed in the in the jazz pelican game i felt like they're calling a lot of fouls and i don't know if it's just because i haven't watched basketball in so long a game that matters uh-huh. or if it just like they're actually calling a lot of fouls but it just this uh-huh. felt like they were calling or maybe so, it's it could be the tighter defense for an actual game Maybe I, I'm kind of, it's hard for me to say because I, I usually watch the game a little bit behind. So I'll skip through, you know, timeouts. I'll skip through the first free throw. Uh, so my sense of time is a little bit off. And then at the same time, not really related to what you're saying, but kind of a tangent. Did it feel like there were less commercials on this broadcast? Yeah. It, it sure felt like that to me, yeah. too, yeah. They it talked through a lot of stops, yeah. Oh, got you. Okay, that's maybe what it is. And then the, the Lakers came. Those commercials took 15 minutes at a time. Oh, my God. Oh, you know right. they challenging everything. <laughs> that's where everyone's watching that. You got to get the got to get them eyes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, but, just, uh, the, just a note, Andre, on that. The average game last year um, had 41.6 fouls, and this game had 57. So, it's not uh, – you're not you're not crazy or you're not uh off base on that. Yeah, cuz I was there. looking at I was looking at the fouls in the box score. So Clippers a lot of them were in foul trouble like Paul George had 5, uh Zubac had 5. Like there was like, had three. There was like three guys there was like three yeah. guys in total with 5, but I think over I mean yeah. overall definitely a lot higher than your typical game. That's yeah. a 16, that's a plus 16 differential in the in the foul column. So maybe they are maybe they are um refereeing it a little bit tighter rich because they don't have to worry about those fans yelling about the fans yelling like yeah and they're getting their reps in too you know you don't know for sure we don't know refs Um, and refs in bubble form man they're ready so i guess let's uh let's emulate what we're going to be seeing all day long on espn tomorrow andre what was your take on the final possession uh for the clippers and and the lakers where lebron was playing defense against paul george and Kawhi leonard is LeBron, LeBron the greatest player LeBron of our generation? Is LeBron in contention for defensive player of the year? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, that was a that was, it was a good possession. You're wrong, like, and let me tell you why. Exactly. LeBron's Dang, a we should make this a segment. <laughs> oh man. And let <laughs> me tell you why. Uh but no, man, he, he handled Kawhi. Kawhi couldn't get past him, passed the ball off to uh Paul George, stayed in front of him for the most part. Uh Paul George couldn't get a good, a clear enough shot and miss, but he wanted the the foul afterwards. Uh, I, I get I what you thought it was good. Can, can I say something, Rich? We Go talked ahead, about this I'll, last I'll year in the up. playoffs, and we said, why does he pump? Well, the Mavericks. We were talking about the Mavericks, but then we also said this about Kawhi Leonard. I feel like he just fakes too much sometimes. Like, commit to the drive the entire way, even if you get bumped, right? Even if, like, LeBron's a freaking wall, brick wall, right? You're going to run into him. You, pro- you might fall on your ass. But, like, you're also very strong. Just commit to the drive. I think he just... 
he's too quick. And I'm going to tell him to change his entire game, right? But he's too quick to want to pump and pull up from, like, mid-range. Yeah, which and, is which he's amazing at, right? Yeah, but it puts him in a it puts him in a tough spot. Like right there, it put him in a very right. awkward position. Yeah, he has to get right. rid of the ball. Yeah, yeah, he has to get rid of the ball, and now Paul George is scrambling to get open. Like with that's that much what time I, left, you just don't have you you can't make something come out of nothing. And then we saw the frustration on Kawhi. I think he wanted the ball back, but it's like you kind of created. You had the opportunity. You right, had the opportunity right. to to finish it. And that's exactly what I was gonna say. Uh, I was gonna say, you know, in response to what Andre said, this is not a knock against LeBron's defense. He definitely played good, solid defense. But Kawhi and Paul George let the time get away from them, and they didn't make it very hard. There was not very much uh, east-west movement. You know, LeBron, or Kawhi picked up his dribble after, like, two dribbles. So he didn't make LeBron reach or do anything. So as soon as uh, he passed the ball to Paul George, who was three feet away, LeBron, yeah, like, LeBron didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah, all he, did, he literally just turned. Yeah, like, what yeah up, bro? exactly. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I'm not a professional NBA player, but if your guy is trapped in the corner – you run away from him so he has an angle to pass to you, you know? Uh, right. And then same, similar kind of concept. If you pass to me right next to you, I don't, it's, it's, you're regarding two guys in one spot. So they didn't make it that hard on LeBron. So I think we, when, we, when they get their real offense going, like I, this is what I wrote down. Their offense is not going very smoothly, especially late game. They're going to have to practice. They have not played that many minutes together. When you have, this is what I wrote. When you have uh, Joe Kim Noah, and uh, and Reggie Jackson puttering around on offense. That's obviously not what you want to end your end the end, end your possessions and quarters with. So I I feel like there's a long way that they're gonna come by the end of these eight seeding games. I don't know. I'm I got a hot take, but man, I've Let's been watching it. I've been watching the Clippers this whole season. I haven't really seen a real offensive system for them. They've been I think rotating they, in and out so yeah, much. Yeah, it's just been yeah, they haven't been playing together one, but two, when they all play together, it just seems like they all take turns like right. ISO. Yeah, right, so right, I don't right. I don't know. I don't know, man. We'll see. They have the talent, but what'd you say? What you guys be ignoring saying? you guys are ignoring the MVP chance in the back. MVP oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. But LeBron? <laughs> but that's what's going to happen tomorrow morning. <laughs> oh, come on, man. You already know. Oh, they're already out now. The tweets, are, the tweets are out already. Watched King? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what do you guys think of uh, – so I guess I was going to say this later, but we're going to do the previews after this. So what do you guys think of the crowd noise that they're kind of pumping in there? I don't know how I feel. Holy shit, when I first tuned in <laughs> and I saw the freaking virtual crowd and heard the noise, I was like, what the fuck? There's fans here? Yeah. Hey, y'all ever play the N64 yeah, was, wrestling game? Legit. Yes. Uh-huh. We actually talked about this in the last episode. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about those cardboard cutouts in yeah. um, MLB. <laughs> Looking like some old MLB slugfest. Yeah. Oh, man. The NBA quality is pretty good on those on those oh, virtual uh, fans. But what do you think about the noise, though, when they're pumping oh, it was in, like baby chants? I like it. I like I think so. I I keep drawing correlations between the NBA and the or comparisons between the NBA and the MLB because I mean, what else, right? What else are you gonna do? Um, MLB seems like overly loud. Like it's really? almost like turn that shit down. You know, like it, it's annoying, and that's because maybe an MLB crowd is a little bit more continuous, right? An NBA crowd is a little bit. It has its moments where it gets louder and then it goes down a little bit, and then you got the dun dun. You know, the the home yeah. crowd music mm-hmm. for the defense and shit. I'm glad there's yeah, less music but, in the bubble. Uh-huh. Yeah, MLB is very just all the time just hearing chatter, 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 chatter. So it can get a little irritating. The NBA one was good. I liked it. I thought it was good. I like the audio level for the most part. I like it being a little quieter because I, I like hearing the uh, 
the squeaks. The squeaking of the floor. Like, it feels like, oh, the gentleman's game is how it feels to me. An enthusiast, you know, uh, exhibition. Uh, but I like that. I kind of wish it was no sound at all, but I'll take the way that they have it. Uh, if For fans who might not know, the home team, in air quotes, is the one that gets to control basically all the noise, all the music. So those music cues and sound cues. Dude, I heard the... Uh, of course, during the the preseason games or during the uh, the the you know the scrimmages, when somebody said somebody missed a free throw, you heard somebody go "bruh" on the uh, yeah. On the I thought they were gonna do that in these. Well, no, yeah, they did in the third quarter. Oh, uh, I couldn't hear Pelicans. it. No, they didn't go "bruh," but somebody missed, and they go uh, "yeah, boy." <laughs> so man, I was laughing. All right, yeah. Boy. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and wrap this up since uh, we're talking about the Lakers. But, yeah, that's the first game of their eight. Uh, up next, man, they actually got a pretty hard strength of schedule, but they got a pretty good buffer. There are five, ga- five games ahead of the two seed, which is the Clippers. Before this one, now they're six games ahead. So, but, yeah, next they got the Raptors, then Jazz, Thunder, Rockets, Pacers, Nuggets, Kings. All those are playoff teams except for the Kings. So, if you play the Lakers and you're one of those teams trying to get in, do you are you – is it good that you face them maybe at the later half of this, this little stretch? Because maybe they'll, you know, take their foot off the gas a little bit, or you think they're just going to hit it the same? They'll definitely time? rest the last game is my yeah. prediction once their seed's locked up. Yeah, the Kings. Uh, Kings so, will I mean, get a freebie. Kings, depending on what the King, how the Kings do, they might be in for a freebie. I yeah. doubt it'll be a freebie, but you know what I mean? All right. Oh, cool. So that does it for the preview on the, the well, not the preview for the recap of the first two games of the season. That's just and getting started, and it's sort of a Lakers preview too. Yeah, yeah there's not much more to add. I mean, like we know the Lakers: LeBron, AD, Javale, Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell Pope. They're just gonna see who's gonna fill in that Avery Bradley spot since he right. hasn't joined them in the bubble. And we didn't see J.R. Smith yet, so yeah, oh, we're gonna he see. Played, him he played like rotation. five minutes, but he didn't do much. Not so. much, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see them tighten the rotation. Yeah. So we have our previews. Uh, we got the remaining three teams. Uh, I know we got the Sun Kings. Who's going first? The Suns. Yeah, I mean they're first in the name, so they might as well go first. All right. So <laughs> your boy here got the Suns, and before you guys think that I'm gonna rip on them, it's not like the first word I wrote on this preview is the word bleak, but it is. Uh, they are 26 and 39, 13th in the West. Uh, they aren't going to be playing with Kelly Oubre Jr. He's got a right knee injury, and I have seen no word of him playing. Uh, they're behind the Grizzlies by six games. So, they, yeah, they only have to get within four games, but there's three teams or four teams in between them uh, to, to be able to get it. So what I'm going to give you Suns fans in the Valley of the, of the Sun or Valley boys out there, this is what I'm watching. This is what I think you should see for growth during these uh, next seeding games. Then when the Suns go home, look forward to when the season probably starts back up in December. So I know Andre was real high on DeAndre Aiden when he first got drafted. And he turned out to be pretty good, promising, promising on offense, really bad on defense. Came back this second season, got his uh, – got suspended for basically uh, PED use, or I don't want to you know, misappropriate what it was, but an illegal uh, diuretic, hiding whatever he might have been using. Uh, and then so, but he's really come forward on defense. If you go to YouTube, you Google DeAndre Aiden defensive highlights, you're going to see 2019, 2020 highlights. You're not going to see 
2018-2019 highlights because there weren't any, okay? So he's been uh, – he's stepping it up. He's doubled his block rate. He went from 0.9 a game to 1.7. That's almost twice as many. Uh, Mikel Bridges, their draft pick from a year ago, good on defense as well, and which is important because Ricky Rubio is crafty on defense. Devin, Burke, Devin Booker is not bad on defense, so – uh, a team that's developing wants to have good defensive habits and not just be a sieve on, on defense for letting the other team score whenever they want to. So he's got a good defensive uh, capability, able to guard on the perimeter, get in the passing lanes just a little bit. Shoots about average from three. So if he's going to be developing into a three and D guy, that's exactly what everybody wants. And if you got him on a cheap contract, that's great. So since I don't think Ricky Rubio is going to be playing quite as much, you're going to see a lot more offense going through the likes of him, going through DeAndre Aiden as he kind of sharpens his skill set. Because uh, he can shoot face up. He's got some post moves. He can do a lot of stuff. So I think you'll see a lot of offense coming from more places than before. Whereas you know, during the season, you know, Devin Booker is really going to get his run in, get his sweat on, and get his points up. But if they're going to make a run to the playoffs for the first time and since 2010 – they're going, to, they're going to need these guys to develop. Uh, these guys don't run as fast as you might think for a young team, but if they can get their steals up higher, they cause, they're top four as far as causing turnovers, but they don't run the floor very hard. They're ninth in pace, so they, don't, they have the ninth most possessions uh, of any team in the league, but you might want that to get up towards the top five if you're the Suns. Um, as far as uh, players on their on their roster that they're uh, coming up to watch, so they've got Aaron Baines, who is an expiring contract. Dario Saric, the homie. Shout out to Andre over there. Super Dario. Uh, exactly, you, exactly. A shout out to Dario. He's an expiring contract too, and I don't think he's making the bubble, so I'm not sure what they're going to see from him and what his market will be like post pandemic. Um, but as far as their other rookies and young players, years one and two, that they're going to be watching, Mikael Bridges, like I mentioned, Elio Kobo showed some range in the scrimmages that I was watching before these games started. Uh, Cam Johnson, he's actually got some defense. He's their rookie uh, coming to the end of his first year here, uh, coming from Pitt. So I think uh, he's power forward, six foot eight, got some length, got some height, and got a little bit of range. So we'll see what's going to come out from him as well as uh, Ty Jerome. Oh, and I missed one guy. This guy's an expiring contract, too. Uh, did you know Cameron Payne was still in the league, guys? Did y'all know? Well, I thought he was, like, on a G League team. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he was uh, on the Bulls. He was on the Thunder. He was waived by the Wizards, I think. I might be getting that wrong. So, uh, I don't think he's coming back. I think he's finally making his way out of the league. Nothing against the guy, but I have seen nothing on the court that tells me that he's worthy of being in the top 450 players in the league. So I don't see him coming forward um, after this coming season. So Sun Kings or Suns, let's uh, let's get that defense up. Let's get the transition paints flowing, and let's see who can shoot some threes. That's what we're going to be looking for in this uh, in this uh, in these seeding games. So that's what I got for the Suns, guys. Not too bleak. Definitely some something something is on the horizon. We just don't know if the Suns rising or not. I mean, yeah, they got a lot of talent, so hopefully this will be just a good learning experience for them and they can figure out what their next step's going to be for next season and going forward. 
I mean, you hope to see some, I mean, this is what I hear a lot just from people who I talk to, you know, on the street, not literally on the street, but people that I talk to. You know, yeah, y'all talk about the suns out on the street? <laughs> they do. They do. Yeah, let and me the tell you they, about The reason they talk about the suns and, and this, it's the same thing every time. And I hope that what you're talking about, Rich, you know, for the future jumps to look forward to in December or whenever the, the season were to resume, everybody always says, what a waste of talent. Um, what a waste of talent, right? Because you have a uh, Devin Booker. Everybody always says Devin Booker so good. He could, he should be. If he was on a different team, he'd be better than you know, a, a person that they often compare him to is like Trey Young. He's better than Trey Young. Trey Young just has a better supporting cast. Even though I would argue that the Hawks aren't really the greatest supporting cast either, but um, that's the thing that always comes up. And Devin Booker is there for what the next five years. So you know, when you talk about building for the future. That's going to be your centerpiece. I don't think anybody will argue that. DeAndre Aiden was going to be kind of the first piece that put around him. Then we had the unfortunate thing with what you said, a diuretic. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that, you know, they can, they can do some developing. You know, these guys can get some experience under their belts. And then ultimately, um, the goal is to, you know, continue that, that building process. Because, you know, you got to build around those two young guys. Um, and then hopefully they can hit on something. I, I haven't really paid much attention to the draft rich, but they're likely to fall into the lottery. I'm not sure how far deep into the lottery or how deep this draft is, but hopefully they can add another piece and continue that building process because I think the city of Phoenix, after getting so close on some occasions, you know, in the, in the 2000s, they haven't really seen much prosperity. So um, they've got some talent now. Um, and hopefully they can, they can put something together. Uh, that's completely up to management. Um, I don't know their history, but uh, hopefully they can get some guys around those two young guys and we can see something exciting come out of Phoenix. And um, hopefully they don't have to actually merge with the Kings. <laughs> I believe their last, you know, team catchphrase that inspired by trust the process was trust the timeline. So they got a uh, four more years of this uh, Devin Booker contract. And last season he said, well, I'm not winning less than 30 games again. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. We're, we're gonna trust the timeline on this Ultimatums one. Ultimatums over here. Jeez. That's what he said. <laughs> cool. Speaking Man. of the Sun Kings, Andre, do you have something else to say? No, I'm good. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of the Sun, King, Sun Kings, we're gonna move on to the second half of that of that duo, and that is the Sacramento Kings. So just a little bit of uh, off-season news, I guess if you want to call it, or pause-season news. Huh? Um, some uh, had several members of the Kings actually test positive for COVID. Uh, at the beginning of July. So they actually closed their practice facilities back on July 5th after a member of the team that was going to actually travel to Orlando tested positive. So they said, let's go ahead and shut it down so that we can avoid the potential spread of it. Um, they didn't really clarify who it was, but my money is on Harrison Barnes because he was one that came out and said he tested positive um, in early July. So it just the timeline just kind of correlates. Um, he did clear on July 24th. And then, you know, traveled uh, to Orlando. So he's out there now, um, ready to go. He, he actually did like a, an interview and he talked about, you know, his wife contracted it as well as his mother. So that just kind of talks about, you know, how serious this is and how quickly it can spread. Um, we think, okay, you hang out with the people that you, that you're, that you live with and you're good, um, but it can stem anywhere, really. So be extra careful out there, guys. Wear your masks, social distancing, all that good stuff. Wash your um, hands. Yeah, definitely wash your hands. That that always baffled me that that was like something new to people. Um, 
Harrison Barnes, if you guys have watched him, you watched that interview, you'll see how scruffy he's looking. Boy, looking rough, like he even, you know, like he just, you know. Well, he was gonna grow that playoff beard until yeah, they so got over five hundred. He's continuing yeah, exactly. it, and he's got the same stipulation. Rich, he said, only one of three things has to happen. Whatever one of these three things has to happen, we got to get to five hundred. We got to make the playoffs, or the season has to end. Which, what's your money on, guys? <laughs> which one of those three things is likeliest to happen? Uh, se- season ending. <laughs> I'm about to get him a manscape. <laughs> the season ending. I think I'll, I agree with you on that, Rich. Um, just based on their strength of schedule um, and just kind of uh, what their lineup looks like, and I'll talk a lot about it here in a second, uh, my money is also on the season ending before either of those other two things happening. But uh, I'm sure he's going to feel good to finally get that off. Um, a couple of the other guys that tested positive, Buddy Heal, Jabari Parker, and Alex Lynn all tested positive, but they've all cleared uh, quarantine. Uh, and they tested negative and clear quarantine, and so they're now with the team as well. So they'll all be participating in the resumption as well. So good to see that. Uh, one player that isn't going to be with the team um, is going to be uh, Marvin Bagley, who is actually out for the season. He actually got hurt in Orlando, guys. So he made the trip, got hurt. Um, it was a lateral right foot sprain, and they, he's out for the season. Um, so no Marvin Bagley. So it's unfortunate because we always talk about this team – as being exciting to watch. There was a lot of promise for them last year um, towards the end of the year, and then they kind of fizzled out. Um, kind of similar expectations. I think I think one of you guys even put them in your, uh, in your playoff prediction, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say it was Rich, but I'm not sure. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Rich. Might have been me. I think that it might have like, been you. Um, it's pre-quarantine. Nothing counts anymore. Yeah, nothing counts anymore. Not even Andre's Toronto Raptors. Uh, well, that that stays it. forever. Toronto. <laughs> But, uh, you know, a lot of promise uh, for this year that they can make the playoffs. Rich, the most overused term this offseason has oh, been. Oh, God. Young core? Young core. But this <laughs> oh, is no. actually a young core. And we're like, you know. They are young, right? <laughs> I guess they're rich. Um, and they're not on the fringes? I guess so they I'm have gonna, to qualify. I'm going to do a little game, and I'm going to let you guys guess the ages of some of these players. So I'll, I'll start from – I'll give you a clue. I'll give. I'll start from – no, no, you know what? I'm not going to give you a clue. I'm going to jump all over the place. So – Harrison Barnes, veteran. That should be kind of easy. How old is he? He's 29. 29. Is he 29 now? How old did you say, Andre? I, I said 27. 27. So he's right in the middle. He's 28. 28 I didn't think. Right now. Oh, he's my age. I forgot. 28. Okay. Oh, he just turned 28. Yeah. Harry Giles. Harry Giles is 24. Andre? Uh, 25. He's actually 22. Dang. I, I know he was an old, uh, you know, college coming out of the college but i didn't know what year he came um out. yogi ferrell he's 26 he is, yeah he's like 26 27 he's 27 Dang. jabari parker oh he old he's a 27 26. he's 25 okay I, I, bogdan uh, bogdanovich 26 bogdan don't call me boyan is 27 he is 27 yes hey um a couple waiting. more a couple more a couple more um Buddy Hill. Did I say Buddy Hill? Buddy Hill. Oh, he's secretly old. He's like 27. Damn, that's old now? <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm saying. So, yes, he is 27. And then lastly, Marvin Bagley. Uh, isn't he 20, 22? 20, 22? He's 21. Oh, he's 21. If I were to ask you who their best three players are, who would you say? I think De'Aaron all, Fox. De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox. I didn't put him on here. I'm sorry about that, guys. <laughs> no De'Aaron Fox. How old is De'Aaron Fox? He's 23. He's 22. Dang, he's 22. Uh, he's 22. So, why is he not on here? My goodness. Anyway, <laughs> so, the best three players on the team, De'Aaron Fox, 
Who is next? Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley, and then probably Buddy Heald. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, Yeah, probably Buddy Heald. So those three guys, 27, 22, and 21. Um, But when they got Buddy Heald, they thought he was going to be like 24. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, whoopsies, I'm 25. I mean, De'Aaron Fox, you could have made the case that, you know, had he played the way he played last year, he probably in his rookie year, he probably would have been most people's picks for rookie of the year, um, the way he was looking last year, right? Would you guys agree on that? Yeah, he would have yeah, been. Yeah, he up was there. looking like a stud. Um, kind of, you know, um kind of duplicating that this year, averaging twenty points, six point eight assists, four rebounds per game. Not bad for a point guard. Um, definitely productive on the offensive side. Marvin Bagley uh has had some health issues, nothing too drastic. Um, but you know, kind of the 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 big man to compliment the Aaron Fox, right? And both very athletic. Marvin Backley, we know, is very jumpy, or there's a better word for that. But, springy. Uh, springy. There you go. Very springy. Um, <laughs> can grab boards. Um, can post up. Similar game to kind of like Marcus Aldridge, although I think he likes to go more free throw rather than you know just um, hitting shots from the elbow. But still, you know, very strong interior game. Um, haven't really gotten, haven't really gotten a chance to get into like a long streak of success, um, and that's going to continue. So I was really hoping to see the full squad, um, but with Marvin Bagley out, guys, I mean, what does that mean for this young core? Shit, blow it up, nah. Blow it up. <laughs> what do I you mean, guys you think? Got, I mean, I know you guys were very. Uh, the reason I ask is I know you guys were very high on this team, and I agree, and I understand the excitement around them. But where do they go from here? Do they? I mean likeliest we already said likeliest thing to happen is they lose they um the season ends right what, i think what, is, what do they do next year i think the they need to focus on is picking up their pace i believe they're middle of the pack as far as pace goes they don't run that fast uh but they have the new john wall the guy that's the fastest with the ball in the league so if you're going to be streaking up and down the court whenever you can forcing turnovers or even off of made or missed baskets that opens up you know trailing threes from guys like marvin bagley where he likes to shoot it from as well as boyan don't call me bogdan bogdanovich so that's where i see it it's more it's just a stylistic thing find your identity and then play it to the max and then fill in the holes you know that's the kind of philosophy that i think would help that uh, if Dave Yeager kind of tried to um, implement that to the best of his ability, have an identity and then, you know, fill in the gaps. I think that's kind of where I want them to go. There's going to be 14 teams that could talk themselves into the playoffs next year in the West. They're not all going to make it, but they can try to develop their identity and try to be on the come up, even if they miss the playoffs. That's what I think. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Um, I thought, isn't Luke Walton the coach right now? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Did I say yeah. Dave Yeager? He was yeah. the coach. Yeah. It's Luke Walton yeah. now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so you got to see what you can get out of Bagley, obviously. Um, he was pretty rough, um, at least defensively. Offensively, you know what he can do, but it's, it was the defense that was the question for him. So um, you want to see if first he can get healthy and then see if you can develop him there. Um for a big, a four, you want to be able to have some type of defensive presence. Um, and then not just that, like like Rich said, you want to be able to make use of De'Aaron Fox's skills, which is moving fast with the ball. Um, I want to see him, you know, be able to make a little bit quicker and better decisions. Um, part of that's going to be him developing his shot from range. So he's kind of spotty when it comes to shooting on pull-ups. Um, if he could be a little bit more consistent there, he'd be able to utilize his speed a lot more. It'd be a much bigger threat. 
uh, for them. So uh, with that combined with them being, you know, a little bit more aggressive in transition, I think that would put them on the right pace at least, uh, you know, work on building that identity because they have the tools like Harrison Barnes. He's a good player. Like a lot of teams would like to have him obviously not as a first through third option, but he's a good player that you want to have on your team. He can pretty much do everything. Um, you can force an ISO and everything. Uh, he can shoot the ball and he defends well and he can rebound. Uh, I mean, Buddy Hield, you already know he can pull up, he can shoot. Uh, all right, defender. Um, he's he's 27. He's pretty much is what he's gonna be. But that's a good player that you want to have on your team as well. So I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I think a lot of it hangs on on uh, what's his name. Bagley. Bagley, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry, sure. brain farting. Yeah, they took him with the number. Was it number two pick? Number two, two pick. pick. It could have yeah, been Luca. Yeah, they passed on Luca. Um, I personally think it all started going south when they banned those ninja headbands. Oh, I was about to say that. I was gonna say De'Aaron Fox cut his hair, man. He yeah. looks so cool with long hair and the ninja headbands. I was literally about to say that. They got against my man De'Aaron Fox, man. Um, just some more notes. Uh, De'Aaron Fox actually was also hurt for a little bit. It was just a sprained ankle. Uh, back on July 15th, so just about a couple weeks ago. But he's good to go, and he will play in every single game. So good to hear that. Already missing Marvin Bagley. It would have been a real shame to also not get to see De'Aaron Fox, so we'll get to see him. Um, they are in the bottom tier, if you wish, if you like to call it, of the rooms, and that's the Yacht Club. But, Rich, you said that that's the one that's popping, so it uh, looks like they lucked out there. It's the um, most fun, yes. The most fun, yeah. That makes sense. You know, usually the guys that are, like, on the outside looking in are more fun. Um couple key matchups, July 31st against the Spurs and August 2nd against the Magic. The reason those are key matchups, if they want a chance at the playoffs, they got to take those two games because it gets really hard after that. After the, the Spurs and the Magic, they go against the Mavericks, the Pelicans, the Nets. Eh, it gets a little easy, but then they have the Rockets and the Pelicans again, and the Lakers is the last game. So if they can keep it close and they can get within that, that playoff, I mean, that play-in spot, the ninth seed, and they play the Lakers last. I, that's why I asked that question earlier, guys. If you think the Lakers are going to take the foot off the gas towards the end, likely rest some people because they have the number one seed locked in. This could bode well for the Kings. So I'm not too ready to say that. Like, if I had to gamble, I'm going to say that they're not going to make the playoffs. But if they can keep it close and they get to that very end, I could see them sneaking in. I could definitely see them sneaking in, particularly with teams like the like the Lakers um, kind of, you know, easing into the to the playoffs. Yeah, so that'll, that'll be interesting to see. But I just hope it's need, a fight. I hope we get definitely a, need to uh, take those first two games. If they don't take those first two games, it's it's a wrap. Kind of downhill. I yeah. hope we see like a you know a fight to the finish to get to the playing game, like a fight for the ninth oh. seed. Oh yeah, and then, then then then, then the playing. Essentially, there's five teams essentially fighting for that. Um, player signings. They this is we talk about young core. This is a very non-young name in Corey Brewer. Uh, he was signed on June 25th. Um, he pre- he played with the Kings previously at the end of the 2019 season. Um, just kind of a little some size that they had at small forward. He's six Dude, foot eight. People Sorry, love him, nine. and like teammates love him. And it's underrated and underrated skill. He has led the league in fast break points. You know, uh, I think at least once, well, yeah, maybe I mean, twice when, in when his career. Take, when you take five gather steps, who's not going to lead the league? And <laughs> hey, man, leave Corey Brewer alone. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just he looks saying. like a he looks like a greyhound, man. He just streaks down the court, yeah. and that's exactly what I think that you should be doing: is streaking down the court. If For you're sure. young, run like hell. That's what I've been saying about every team. So yeah, that's true. Um, a couple extra notes uh, today: they announced uh, that they're laying off a uh, percentage of the furloughed staff that they had. The Kings are, um, which brings me to this point. 
we talked about another owner who's having a huge impact in the black community and in the in the social movement that's going on right now donating how many millions 100 million over the next 10 years 2.5 already like now right now if i'm not mistaken yeah michael jordan but these people these other franchises can't keep their employees employed for a year really really sad to see that guys because you have an owner in charlotte who also has his basketball operations but is also taking money out of money out of his own personal fund to help you know with social justice yeah, and, and it's these not other as franchises though, are just like letting people go. Right, and it's not yeah. as though the Charlotte Hornets are the bread-winning, you know, franchise. It's a revenue-sharing operation. The Lakers and the Knicks, when they operate at surplus, they share with teams that are operating at a slight minus. So it's not as though, you know, laying those guys off is going to make it so that they crash their businesses. You know what I mean? Like, uh, or that they don't crash their businesses. So I think the NBA is really setting themselves up not all the nba but some of these teams at least some of these franchises are really setting themselves up for a tough battle when things get back if things get back to normal and when they do because kind of like the players have a union who's to say that these workers don't create some sort of union as well right and not to to avoid this happening again because you can right. just i mean it seems pretty shitty because the nba is on you mm-hmm. know but none of these employees are, are you know, none of these employees have, have any work. So and Mark and they're, Cuban. They're, uh-huh. Yeah, Mark Cuban's another one that is, you know, that is paying his his uh his staff, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the, yeah, the ones that run the American Airlines Center, at least for a time, um, or getting paid. And he's the one that said, like, we wouldn't be doing this if we weren't making money. So they are projecting to make money from this. Exactly. Uh, and this uh speaking of Mark Cuban again, uh when Donald Sterling was, and this kind of edges towards this topic that I thought would be interesting to air out uh, just a little bit. Uh, when Donald Sterling got booted from the league and ESPN has a great like five-part podcast that really goes into detail, all the different circumstances that had to align, the planets that had to align for that to happen. It seems as though it was an easy task for Adam Silver to boot him for those racist m- remarks and you know d- derogatory def- defamatory kind of behavior it wasn't that easy for them to do so a lot of things had to come together in in one time for that to happen and when uh mark cuban was asked on it at the time where it might not have been popular for him to say but he spoke from the owner's perspective saying if we start you know recording and holding people accountable for behavior like this it could be a slippery slope from the perspective of an owner which brings to mind for me there and what you're saying jv you know unionizing employees there really isn't a precedent or a time limit for an owner to have success or any sort of guidelines in place that say you're running the team terribly james dolan you gotta go like there isn't you have to be voted out by two-thirds majority of the other owners to move forward to, to move on and not be in the league anymore and there hasn't been a showing or even a thought of the owners being willing to vote out uh, one of their own because they're afraid that they could be next. So I wonder if these operations, as troubling as they are, will it maybe lead towards maybe a way for franchises to be more successful uh, at the expense of owner security? So that's going to be something to watch. It's going to be tough because it is a private entity, right? But that's why I was saying more so like the union, uh, the union route because those people have a direct hand in it right so if if nobody shows up to work well, how are you gonna operate you know yeah so, correct 
that's how they could have an immediate impact. That's kind of why I was looking at it a little bit more like that. A mm-hmm. um, couple notes to close out the Sacramento Sun Kings. Um, sorry, the Sacramento Kings. Um, so if I told we, I asked you this question, guys, who are the three best players on the Kings? Who did you guys say? We said Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox, and Marvin Bagley. What if I told you this interesting fact? So in this year, Brooke Walton is the new coach, right? We talked about that as well. Right. He decided to move Buddy Heald to the bench in favor of Bogdan. Don't call me what? Boyan Bogdan? It's Boyan. Don't call me Bogdan. It, he's Bogdan, Rich. Wait, no. Boyan's on the, yeah, on the Jazz. Boyan's on the Jazz. So this All is right, Bogdan. Well, so Bogdan Bogdanovich. Me. Yeah, Bogdan Bogdanovich um, gave him the starting role at the two guard, Buddy Heald to the bench. In that time, Heald actually led in the Kings in score. This uh, sorry, last season he actually led the, the Kings in scoring with twenty point seven points per game, forty five point eight percent from the field, right, and forty two point seven from three points. So you're thinking, why would you, why would you bench this guy, right? He just won the, the didn't he just win the three point contest as well? Why would you bench this guy? But and and the, that same time, Bogdanovich was averaging fourteen point one. Points, three point assists, and three point five rebounds. So you're like, why would you put Buddy Hill on the bench when you have, and why would you start Bogdanovich, right? But since doing that, the Kings went from having a 15 and 29 record to going on a 13 and seven run in that, and after making that change. So Bogdanovich is my factor, my X factor, if the Kings want to have success in this, in these, this uh, eight game regular season. Um, because he that completely changed the landscape of their offense. Granted, they don't have Marvin Bagley, so it's going to be really hard to kind of um, spread the floor a little bit more. But Bogdanovich, despite not being as productive volume-wise as Buddy Heald, is providing a much more efficient offense. So, Rich, to your point, you said that they – I mean, you're, you made the point of them, you know, having to run up and down the floor. But in reality, Bogdanovich is more of a, you know, uh, half-court set kind of player. Um, but he does get a lot of his three-pointers in transition, so a little bit of both. So th- it's up to them to find that balance, but all I know is that they definitely want to have the ball in his hands as much as possible. Um, but I'm interested to see what this starting lineup is going to look like. Do they go smaller, see, being as uh, Bagley is not in the rotation? Um, that's yet to be seen. But uh, I'm, I'm interested to see Bogdanovich continue to progress, even though he's not part of the young core at an old 27 years. Um, he's oh, definitely going to play a part um, in their success for at least the next two, three years, at least the rest of his contract. So just wanted to share that little bit stat because we have Buddy Heald as the third best player on the team, but the team wins more with Bogdanovich on the starting rotation. Hey, man. Yeah. We will so, keep that in mind. For um, sure, for sure. Um, I, that, that's all for the, for the Sun Kings. God, you got that in my head. <laughs> It's all for the king. If y'all don't know what the Sun Kings is about, just go check out Game of Zones, the parody from Bleacher Report on YouTube. Uh, really hilarious three-minute episodes, and the Sun Kings are definitely, definitely something to make you smile. <laughs> cool. So we're gonna wrap it up with our final team of our preview, and that is gonna be the Memphis Grizzlies. Rich, the grit and grind. Are we still call them the grit and grind Grizzlies. Yeah, man, because they play good defense. Thirty-two and thirty-three. Eighth in the West, they've earned their spot. They may be upset that they have to go through some extra hoops to keep that eighth seed, but with as difficult as their uh, upcoming schedule was going to be in the regular season, uh, I think that the way that their schedule has panned out and the 
different, you know, teams that are all going to be fighting for that ninth seed are going to have to fight. I think they've found a pretty nice balance as far as keeping it fair to the Grizzlies while making it entertaining and giving other teams a shot. So the Grizzlies started off kind of bad, which is what people might think quite often because the Grizzlies haven't had a lot of playoff success since Marcus Gasol kind of petered out, it seemed, before he went to Toronto. Mike Conley didn't have the most productive season because he's been injured, uh, you know, year over year at different times. They started 6-16, six and 16, but for a stint uh, towards the end of December, early January, they went 15-4, and four. so they were hot, 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 hot. Uh, a lot of that was from three-point shooting. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. got really hot. Um, they hadn't yet traded, or they hadn't really put Kyle Anderson in the rotation. And Josh Jackson had started to finally make some threes, who they required from the Suns half of the Sun Kings. Um, so that kind of contributed towards their uh, towards their great record. But 26 and 17 overall since that horrid 6 and 16 start. So playing good, solid basketball. Um, Taylor Jenkins, their coach had them copying off a very successful team as far as defensive philosophy. So they've copied off the Milwaukee Bucks, essentially. Mike Budenholzer, I believe he came from the same coaching tree. Uh, And so their general scheme is to protect the paint. They give up a lot of threes. And what did I say last time? But Rich, is it giving up a lot of threes bad? Well, it can be. Uh, But it's not always <laughs> it, it's, it's what everyone says and so uh, <laughs> and so uh, so yeah and so what they're doing is they're chasing guys off the line forcing tough contested threes at times and really k- taking away easy baskets they do foul quite a bit uh, for a young team that's gonna happen and that can actually end up being their downfall which is what I kind of want to explain towards the end as to what might happen if things go south for them but you know, I really want to take just a just a second to wax poetically about how awesome John Morant is to watch. Like Zion Williams uh, deserves the hype that he gets. He is so captivating to watch. He's a flying bowling ball or a flying boulder, is what I was saying uh, earlier in the podcast. But John Morant, like he's got tenacity. He's got swagger. He blocked Kyrie Irving towards the beginning of the season to force the Nets into overtime against them and then beat him in overtime and looked like Russell Westbrook. Looked like I belong, I'm here, and I'm a force to be reckoned with. He's like, He's like Russell Westbrook, but also like a very small amount of like – Chris Paul like combined like and that's not to heap too much praise on him but the reason I say Chris Paul is because he's a pass first point guard he's not afraid to hit the ball ahead uh he's different from well Chris Paul is a pass first as well in a little bit of a different way Chris Paul likes to kind of control the possession and move the chess pieces himself by hand to each spot that he wants to get to whereas uh John Morant has already realized that with his speed he can be a threat off the ball just cutting catching it skying for a dunk he tried to dunk over Kevin Love like do y'all remember that it felt like 10 years ago but Jesus Christ like he's got the attitude he's averaging seven assists like that's not an insignificant amount so uh, I'm up on that and he leads the way as far as attacking the point they are top two in attacking the paint uh the only one that beats them at certain times of the season is the Milwaukee Bucks so they're fun to watch you've seen the highlight plays in transition where they sky and John Morant you know throwing uh throwing different uh, alley-oops to Brandon Clark, among others. Uh, but they have a major weakness. Um, I mentioned Josh Jackson and DeAnthony Melton are kind of coming around, playing well on the Suns, but they can be inconsistent at, at times. Uh, those guys also aren't very strong three-point shooters. 
if I had to tell you guys who shoots more than five three-pointers a game of their, let's say they have a nine-man rotation, right, for the upcoming playoff run. Of those nine guys, how many of them would you say shoot more or attempt more than five three-pointers per game? Out of nine, how many shoot five or more? Yes. Let me count it real quick because I'm, th- I'm thinking about the rotation. I'm so, going to say... Say Grayson Allen. I'm going to say John Morant. And I'm going to say Jaron Jackson. So I'm going to say three. It's actually only two. Yeah, uh, I was, was going to say two. <laughs> did, I hit, yeah, did I at least mention the two? Jaron Jackson is one of them. He attempts yeah. over six a game. Uh, it was three, Jonathan, but uh, they kind of got done in by the trade away for when they traded Andre Godal. They sent Jay Crowder away too, uh, in exchange for so Justin Winslow. Yeah. What the hell did I say, Grayson Allen? That dude plays like no minutes. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so, but uh, it's kind of a blessing and a curse losing Jay Crowder because he was attempting as many as uh, Jaron Jackson, five point nine per game, but his clip was only. <laughs> Less than 30%, 29%. Oh, yeah, so J, Triple J is going to hit way more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of good. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. attempting six per game, shooting almost 40%. Dylan Brooks, five and a half per game, shooting 37%. So that's terrific. You want that. Man, they so John, good. John Moran shooting 37%, but only 2.4 attempts. But that's because he's always driving the lane and passing ahead to other people. Yeah. Um, so only shooting about one uh, or, uh, like I said, two and a half per game. Yeah. So they don't – they don't shoot very many threes. Uh, they're fast-paced. They're a good passing team. They're not afraid to pass. They take after John Morant. They take after their coach. Uh, but they turn over the ball quite a bit. They're top 10 in turnovers, uh, and they foul a lot, like I said. So I think if it's going to go south, that's going to be the reason why. Um, Valanciunas was looking kind of swole the other day. Oh, yeah. yeah. He always been a – He's yeah, always been a – Okay, yeah. Like extra swole. He's like a tree trunk. Swole Hard to move. Yeah. Um, it's like Grizz. As far as their schedule coming up, the Grizz. <laughs> but yeah, they're still the great and grind, man. They play good defense. As far as their schedule coming up, uh, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams, of course, like everybody else. And of those eight teams, I've rated seven of the eight as tough, tough Dang. teams that they got to play. Dang. And that's hard. Rich, Richard certified tough. T U F F. They play the uh, Portland Trailblazers. Then the only team that's not tough oh, that is tough. Is the, San Antonio, yeah, San Antonio Spurs, the Pelicans could be tough, and they're directly in contention because they don't want to get past. You know what I mean? They don't want to be the ones that have to win two games. Um, Utah Jazz after that, Oklahoma City Thunder, at Toronto, Boston Celtics, and Milwaukee Bucks. And I know I just said at, and everyone's playing in Orlando. This actually reminds me of something I didn't ask you guys earlier when we were talking about the games. I thought we were going to get full-on, like, decals or vinyls or paint of the actual logos of the home team on the court for every game. Instead, we kept that giant NBA logo. Do you all think it's going to be like that the whole time? Or do you think when we get to, like, the second round or third round, they'll start, you know, when there's more time between they'll games? Add the, they'll add the playoffs. That's it. You think so? Yeah, I think you'll have the playoffs. And then the finals, they might actually. Because they had two whack-ass Lakers vinyls on the floor tonight. And that was weak, weak sauce. Like, they're adding Smoothie King already for the Pelicans. Give me a logo. Uh, and, and while you're at it, give me the old finals logo, the giant one that took up the whole court when the Mavericks were in the championship in 2006. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one was badass. That was big. I just, <laughs> yeah. I just want my Dirk fade away on the, on the Mavs one. Oh, oh, I wonder if they brought that. I bet nah, they did. They uh, you never didn't. know. Uh, they actually didn't bring their court. The Mavericks didn't. Uh, yeah. A couple other teams did. 
But yeah, man, uh, keep an eye on uh, Brandon Clark coming back from injury. He's expected to come back. Tyus Jones, uh, he's still going to be reevaluated in a week. So we don't know if they make it into the playoffs. He'll probably be there for the first round if everything's going okay. Uh, and then Justice Winslow uh, kind of oh, throws yeah, he's there. He's done. Yeah. He's done, exactly. And they traded away Jay Crowder for that. And they hope to maybe dust off Andre Godala. So it was, since that's definitely not happening, that kind of throws out their uh, – their some of their offensive that offense that kind of carried them through the season and when they inserted uh after the trade they inserted slow-mo uh just kyle anderson into the uh to the lineup who used to be on the spurs that guy can't shoot at all so that kind of makes it just a little bit harder for them to keep offense up with these explosive offensive teams in the west so that's something to keep an eye on when the season starts up for them or when they get playing i think they play tomorrow or uh, friday when you guys are listening to this I believe yeah. they play. so that's something to uh, keep an eye on and be excited by. So for sure, tomorrow is March March Madness, July Madness, Friday, man. So um, I believe that does it for the Grizzlies. Am I correct, Rich? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's so, tough. Since we're talking about the Grizzlies, I'm gonna go over just a few key matchups for the weekend, guys. Um, these are matchups that have playoff implications, standing implications, so seating implications. Uh, the first one includes the Grizzlies uh, playing Portland. You mentioned that, Rich, so that that can determine. Uh, where the Portland Trailblazers uh, end up. Um, it could actually even help determine if the Blazers are in the eighth or the ninth seed because this will put them within two and a half games, so very well within reach of becoming the eighth seed and then having the advantage in that playing game. Uh, and some other games, uh, if you want to check out some playoff potential second-round action, uh, the Celtics and the Bucks play at 5.30 Central time tomorrow. Um, and then the Rockets and the Mavericks play tomorrow as well. That's the late game tomorrow night. So that should be exciting. Those two teams are two and a half games back of each other. Uh, yes, two and a half games back. Um, so another seating, uh, some other seating implications that will determine who plays the Clippers, basically, uh, in round one. On Saturday, uh, we have the Lakers and the Raptors at 730. That's the late game as well. So uh, potential finals matchup, you know, anything could happen. And uh, those are two very, uh, one team very deep. The other team, you know, full of start of stardom uh, in the Clippers. We we got I'm sorry in the Lakers. We got to see them tonight, so we'll see how they vote against the deeper another deep team uh, in the Raptors. And then to close out Sunday, uh, we've got the Milwaukee Bucks at Houston, as well as the Spurs <laughs> and Grizzlies. So another one of those teams that can sneak in and take the Grizzlies by surprise. Uh, and potentially uh, meet them in the playing game. So a couple, there's a lot of games, guys. I could probably list every single game and give you a reason why you should watch it. Um, but those are just a few that I wanted to cover to make sure. And I will be cracking some watch. cold ones and absorbing as much hoops as I can. If either of you guys want to join me in chugging a beer in celebration, y'all just let me know. Hit me all up on FaceTime. Is, yeah, all I can we'll say, do. Rich, is this schedule is made for sleeping in because if you sleep in and you wake up, there's basketball as soon as noon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow, Start tomorrow, too. tomorrow it kicks, yeah, tomorrow it kicks off at, at 1.30 Central. Saturday starts uh, noon, and then uh, Sunday starts at 1 Central. So those games are all back-to-back. Um, some of them do overlap, though. Um, for instance, tomorrow the Magic and the Nets won't be over before the Grizzlies and the Blazers start, as well as the Suns and the Wizards. Um, but pretty much, I mean, you got a couple TVs, put them up next to each other. Like Richard said, crack some cold ones open. And you're in for some July madness, some July August madness. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. Yeah, I'm looking no forward to it. No more Netflix. Jeez. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to like... rewatch the last dance. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. That does it for this week's episode. We'll be back. That does it for our preview episodes, actually. We'll be back with another episode with a lot more basketball to be covered. There's going to be more games of the NBA campus under our belts. We're going to bring you all the action, all the recaps, all the insights, all the analysis that you could ask for. Um, we appreciate you guys tuning in. If you don't already follow us, check us out on Twitter at Shot Caller Show. We're on Instagram, the underscore Shot Callers. We're on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, Breaker, Stitcher, and Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating. We really appreciate it. We're trying to grow the show as quickly as possible. We hope you enjoyed the content. Until next time, I'm JV. I'm Rich, and I want to let you guys know that we are on YouTube in audio form, audiogram form, but we will be making the jump to video very soon, as soon as we get a webcam in. So <laughs> expect that very soon. Very, very, very long outro. And close it out for us, Andre. And I'm Andre. <laughs> <laughs> See y'all next time. See ya. <laughs> what man it's a, i'm excited i can't contain it everything comes out <laughs> <laughs>